Welcome back to another episode of the San Marcos Scoop. I hope you all are doing well. I'm your friend, XR Arguello, the host of this show. We made it to Friday, so happy Friday, everybody, and I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. This week on the show, we have a new guest here at the San Marcos Scoop. I invited Commissioner Gabrielle Moore. She is a member of the Planning and Zoning Commission, and we talked about a plethora of topics that you have already heard on this show before. Yes, we talked about housing. Yes, we talked about zoning. We talked about the Guadalupe apartment project that was recently denied by the Planning and Zoning Commission. We talked about what are some of the challenges the city is currently facing. We talked about downtown development and density, all of the things that we have talked about before that I'm sure you all are very annoyed of hearing of. But I thought Commissioner Moore would bring some great insight on the show, and she had some fantastic things to say. So wherever you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you all sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Without further notice, here is my interview with Commissioner Gabrielle Moore. Ms. Moore, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, XR? Good. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I appreciate uh, you coming on. I had, I've had some few planning zoning commissioners on in the past, but I think it's always good to get elected officials on. I've had a few people from our city council now on the show, and I just think it's great to have them on and just talk about different things going on in the city. But first, I guess a good place to start is to say congratulations for being on the commission. Um, you've been on there since March. How has it been since March? Enjoying it? Yes. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I mean, yeah, congratulations. Thanks. I suppose, you know, not half of the town hates me yet. Mm. Yeah, it's like when you're on a border commission, that's kind of, or when you're in city government, it's kind of expected uh-huh. after some time. But yeah, it's only been a few months. When you first got on, um, were you nervous at all? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a learning curve. And I mean, I'm still in it. I'm still a student. But I study the issues before each meeting that we have. Right. You know, I study the packet and try to predict uh, what the controversial issues might be that meeting. And sometimes I'm wrong. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You know, when I had uh, Councilmember Rocky Moore on, he said that like nothing can really prepare you for the workload, like the agenda packets going, I mean, they're really, really long and really lengthy, sometimes a little overwhelming um, to go through that. Yeah. And sometimes a non-consent agenda maybe shouldn't be non-consent. And so you have to kind of look through that and um, just look through the weeds and see if there's something in there that shouldn't just be an up up vote. I personally believe that this is one of the most important times in the city's history. That's probably ignorant because I've only been here for like five years. Um, but with all the growth, with all of our development, our environmental stewardship, if you will, what we're trying to do to protect our city, um, it seems like it's a really, really important time in the city's history. Um, do you feel that pressure? And would you agree with that? I think there, it's a really interesting time mm. uh, for the city's growth because we're in the midst of a lot of growth, um, and we're also in the midst of a national conversation mm. about growth and affordable housing and environmentalism and how it all ties together. So I think that's all really exciting, and I think San Marcos is a good lab for all of it. Housing. I mean, I guess the first place to start is zoning changes to multifamily. Uh, we saw a case in the historic district that was really controversial, around the historic district that was really controversial a few months ago. Um, where we talk about, you know, changing the zoning, allowing more people to diversify our neighborhoods. Um, and it didn't pass. Um, like I mentioned, it was controversial, but, um, you know, in a lot of ways we heard the argument of, well, we got to protect our single family neighborhoods, not diversify our neighborhoods. And the other side of the coin is, well, we need, we need more people living, you know, closer to the downtown. Um, how was that particular case for you? And, uh, you know, looking back at that, um, reflecting on that, if you will, um, 
looking at it now, what are your thoughts on, on, on the multifamily issue? Are you talking about the project on Hopkins? Yes. Okay. It was next to Twin Liquors, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also almost surrounded by multifamily next door. On the other side of it is commercial space, both residential, commercial mixed use. And behind it was multifamily. Across the street was multifamily. That was my second meeting. Mm. And that was one that I did not predict was going to be controversial. So I was really surprised by that. But I was just naive, I suppose. Really? Yeah. Why didn't you think it was going to be controversial? Because um, the exterior, well, number one, of where it was located uh, near so much multifamily on our major thoroughfare, main drag. And the exterior is controlled by, you know, historical requirements. Right. So the exterior was not going to change. It was just the interior where you're going to have basically more kitchens, more doors. Right. So more people could utilize it. And I did not understand the controversy in that. Yeah. Uh, But the argument is we got to protect those single family neighborhoods, right? Like we can't have more people living in that house. Why? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the question. <laughs> yeah, that is the question. You know, to prepare for this, I actually just looked on my own at the history of single-family zoning, and it was interesting. Zoning was basically developed in the United States in the teens and 20s. Um, there was a SCOTUS ruling preventing discrimination in housing. Mm. Then the Harding administration wrote a manual for the zoning, and they used it as a workaround to continue the housing discrimination. So once they had these minimum lot requirements, they could discriminate against people who were not wealthy or mm. did not have that sort of income to afford the land that a single family would be built on. And uh, it allowed them to you know, continue that kind of housing discrimination. Levittown uh, actively dis- uh, resisted integration, and they're, they've got some pretty famous cases of that, of, mm-hmm. you know, some torch-wielding mobs. You know, and I'm not trying to say that current residents of single-family neighborhoods are racist, but I am saying that the history of single-family zoning is very racist. Mm. And I think that we need to be aware of it and look at why it was implemented in the first place. Whenever we're talking about changing something, we should look at why it was implemented in the first place. I've, I've read a lot of articles on that as well when I was looking at single-family zoning that the arguments are that it's very much rooted in segregation, at least initially when it was first uh, when it was first conceptualized and implemented. That was a means to keep people out of a specific neighborhood. Yeah, um, I've people have come on this show and said we need to get rid of single family zoning. I don't know if that's a, a radical thought or not. Uh, I don't know if that's something that that can be possible. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Getting rid of single family zoning. Well, Minneapolis has done it. Mm. They allow three units by right per lot. Uh, and that can be implemented in many different ways. Um, and then Oregon, the entire state is just implemented. I think they allow duplexes mm. on any single family, but Portland allows four units. Um, so it's happening and it makes sense to me. It doesn't seem to make sense to other people in this town. Do you think we'll get to a point, though, where we really look at single family zoning and say maybe this isn't the right way to grow our cities? I'm hoping that we can really have a conversation about it. Are we having that now? Well, you and I are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but is the rest of the city having that? I don't, uh, yeah. I think that that conversation is happening, you know, in different segments. Mm-hmm. And I think there's real resistance to it as well. Um, and, you know, I have evolved to this position. I mm. think that years ago before I started really looking 
at it, I would have thought the same thing, that single family is more environmental. It just seems that way, just to have more space around a house, that a structure isn't um, creating impervious cover on, and that it's the paradigm that I'm used to. And I couldn't even conceive of anything different. Hmm. And still, until I started really looking at it and the environmental impacts of single family zoning, of having house, yard, driveway, house, yard, driveway, house, yard, driveway, and all of this space around it. And here, reading up on uh, impervious cover per capita versus impervious cover per lot. Hmm. And so I've had a lot of moments of introspection right. about my prior thinking. That's interesting you say that because if you would have told me four or five years ago to talk about single family zoning, I, I just would have told you, well, yeah, that's just the way we do things. Yeah, um, I grew up in a single family house. Most people, I, I'm, probably a majority of people did, especially here in Texas. Um, maybe not so much in bigger cities, but certainly here in Texas, that's that's pretty much the norm. And I would have never thought about it that way. Um, but yeah, the more you do research, the more it, it, it kind of changes. Um, it really does change your mind on on these you know types of issues. Um, but with single family zoning and and lots lot sizes and impervious cover, um, that's going to take a big culture shift to move away from what we're used to and having our own space. You know, space between walls, not necessarily wall to wall living like a lot of other places do. That's going to take some time, isn't it? Well, <clears throat> when we talk about Density, which um, can be a scary word for some people, uh, but I would like it to make it less scary um, because I think people imagine high rises or giant structures uh, mm. with lots of apartments, and that's one form of it. But other forms of it are just townhomes, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. With having shared walls, and you know, once you have shared walls, um, you use less utility energy because you know you're able to share some of that right now of course in a building it's going to be much more energy efficient than just having a townhome but a townhome is a way to have more units per acre um adus are a really simple way of getting a little more density in town yeah having people build tiny homes in their backyards tiny homes garage apartments Mm. um yeah, it, it doesn't even have to be a tiny home. Tiny homes are not allowed right now, but just because of our international zoning codes just don't allow for that kind of building. Mm. And that's something that we should talk about as well. But just having a garage apartment, I think you can probably get away with around square, 400 square feet. Right. Some people would think of 400 square feet, though, as uh, not uh, considered not livable conditions, which I don't really understand because I, I come, I've come from a big city where... 400 square feet is fine. You can live, you can live in 300 square feet. Um, but that, that, that's also part of that, that paradigm shift, right? Where we think that we need 1200, 1500, 2000 square feet to live in. And I don't think that's just the case. You know, I've seen, uh, since I've gotten into the real estate industry, um, people's expectations of how much space they need really shrink. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's been heartening to me. I mean, it had to do with uh, the market correction. Right. I'm sure. Right, right. <laughs> but it's, I see it as a positive movement. And when we talk about the environment and zoning, uh, yeah, we mentioned that we think that having a yard and, and all that could be environmentally good. We talk about impervious cover and 
lot sizes, parking lot, driveways, concrete, asphalt. It really, really adds up. Um, you know, it seems like the city is really, really trying to move towards a, a vision zero, right? Like we're trying to revamp our transportation system in a lot of ways. We're trying to you know, protect our river. You know, we've been we've been talking about uh, making sure that that we protect our natural resources. But housing has to do with that, surely, right? We can't be building 400, 500 single family homes, you know, out on Ranch Road 12 and expecting that that helps solve our environmental problems. I, I don't think it does. I mean, does it? Well, it certainly adds to it because it creates urban sprawl. People have to drive uh, to get to these single family neighborhoods. And of course, I mean, I'm in the housing industry. I, mm. I sell in all these single family neighborhoods, but I would certainly prefer uh, that people have more options. Um, I have a green designation in my real estate hmm. license, and that means that I focus on sustainability. And I have people come to me sometimes saying that they want to have um, an urban, they want to have their homestead, not urban homestead, but a homestead. They want to have like five acres, you know, just outside of town and, you know, yeah. 10 miles or so. And they want to have a farm. They want to uh, raise animals. They want to live sustainably and lower the carbon footprint. And I have the uncomfortable conversation with them that says, if you really are serious about doing that, the best thing you could possibly do is live by a condo in the middle of town and ditch your car. Because that is the majority of your carbon footprint. That is where the pollution is going to be coming from. Mm. Not to mention the utilities that, I mean, if they already exist, but if they're building something, utilities that are Extended, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be extended just for one single single home unless they're really wealthy. Are those conversations difficult to have? And uh, do you feel like you change the minds of anybody? I think I um, turn people off, and (laughs) they don't want to use me after that. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, But yeah, when we talk about uh, diversifying our 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 neighborhoods, um, do you believe that's something that we need to be going for? Whether it's accessory dwelling units whether it's having multiple families live in a single home. I mean, is the first step something that we can do right now is to diversify, is to add numbers to our neighborhoods that are already existing? Well, if we add numbers to our existing neighborhoods uh, that are closer to our core, then that allows people to ditch their car. There are a lot of people in your generation especially Mm. who are totally open to that concept. Um, I think that older people can imagine it. And no. I think that's part of the problem with the conversation is they just cannot even conceive of people not being car dependent. Mm-hmm. But it's possible now. If you can walk to where you shop, to where you work, to where you go to school, or if you can bike and you can pick up a bike and use an app just to unlock it now and use a bike anywhere, which is awesome. Now the uh, city cart system and the university shuttle are in negotiations to merge, to merge right, yeah. which I have optimism about. Um, and then you can always uh, use some ride sharing to get farther away if you need to. It's completely possible to not have a vehicle. You're someone who rides a bike. Are, are you seeing more and more people ride bikes as, as, as you do in town? How long yeah. have you been riding? Uh, I've been riding my whole life, but mm. yeah, I've been riding for a long time. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, my job keeps me married to my car, but I do ride as much as possible if I'm not having to go far away. Then I often ride my bike to the office and sometimes even to house showings. Right. You rode your bike here. Mm-hmm. Um, are you seeing more people? Yeah, definitely. I'm seeing more people. Things are definitely changing. I mean, just like you say, you see more professors 
um, talk about Dr. Shearheart. He was a yeah. client and he wanted to be in bikeable distance of mm. the university. And so we found a place where he was able to do that. There was a time when a lot of professors didn't want to live in San Marcos. That's right, changed. Right. Yeah. Another thing we want to talk about was the housing assessment, SMTX for all. Now that came out early, past, earlier this year. Um, it was, in my mind, it was a bombshell assessment. Like yeah. it said a lot of things in there that I think a lot of people didn't expect. Um, what was something that was part of that assessment, that really long assessment that really caught you off guard? Um, well, something I knew is that 72% of our residents are renters uh, and 28% own their own home. Um, the 72%, I think that most people will assume that the majority of the renters in this town are students, but it's not true. The majority are actually uh, single people or families. Mm. Um, and what really struck me is uh, that 65% of renters are cost-burdened which means it's defined by more than one-third of their income going toward housing, which includes utilities. But 45% are paying more than half of their income toward housing, which doesn't even include transportation costs, which are 15% on top of that. So when we're talking also about uh, lack of density near a core or near people's workplaces, uh, that they are um, required to have some sort of vehicle and they have to pay for the registration, they have to pay for gas, they have to pay for maintenance. If it's an old car, they have to pay for a whole lot of maintenance. And it's a real burden for these people. Yeah, and there's a lot of really interesting numbers you said. I mean, 15% on transportation costs alone, that is a lot. That's I a mean, lot. If we're talking about, I believe this is a very progressive town. I really do, right? If we have a, a majority population that's progressive and we're saying that we need to have people on a level playing field, whether it's with national issues or local issues, right, that we want to help um, not marginalize segments of our population. I, I mean, is someone spending 15% on transportation and who is not of high means is not having somebody on a level playing field, is it? No, they're having to work multiple jobs just to make it. Mm -hmm. Just to pay for their housing and their transportation costs. Yeah, twenty eight percent. You said twenty six or twenty eight percent people own homes here. Correct. It seems like although our policies are favoring those who own homes, but it's not even. It's a little bit above a quarter of the people who live in this town. That doesn't seem like trying to you know have representation with a majority of people who live in this town at all. You know, I've heard it said that planning is for the most vulnerable. Mm. This benefits all the public good. And it was a, a new way of thinking for me mm -hmm. that why should we plan for that 28% only because they're the loudest voices. When we have a diversified, healthy community, then it benefits all of us. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is we have this, uh, my girlfriend and I were on the square this morning. We were looking at that building, 13 floors, the one that's going up in front of the university. Uh -huh. God, it's crazy. I saw like this crane lift this, uh, it's like this concrete block. And one of the city guys was out there. He's like, yeah, that must be like 50 tons. I used to work on, uh, I used to work moving on moving cranes and building buildings. And her and I were just looking at this building like, oh my gosh, this, this thing is going to be massive. To a lot of people, that building is really daunting and really scary, right? They see the cranes and they're like, oh, what's happening in my little town? Maybe it's just like the inner city in me where, you know, I grew up with, with cranes all over the place. And, you know, it just means that there's more people living in, in your place. But um, I was having coffee with, with somebody today uh, who works downtown, and they were telling me, he's like, yeah, it's radical to say this in, in this town, but I like the buildings going up in downtown because that's more people walking around the square to support our businesses, not having to drive and look for parking. I, mean, I don't think that's something that a lot of um, – that when we think about, when we think of those buildings, um, 
you know, those high rises, if you will, coming up in downtown. Um, I personally don't think they're bad, but a lot of people do. Um, but where else would we have them? Right. Yeah. If we don't have density downtown, where else should it go? Like we said, I mean, where are these people going to live? And um, if they're going to live far away, then there's going to be a lot more cars and a lot more congestion. And, you know, congestion isn't necessarily a bad thing, by the way, because it uh, it creates an incentive for people to get out of their cars, which mm. is actually, we didn't even talk about the health benefits of that. Right, which which are, I mean, uh, when I had John David Carson on the show, he would say, well, he told me something that stuck with me. He said that when we talk about, um, you know, uh, the American, um, you know, the, the general health of Americans, the physical health of Americans, the mental health, it goes beyond, you know, just sugary drinks. A lot of it is because we sit and spend a lot of times in cars and our transportation takes up hours of our day. And we think of it as a normal occurrence when in reality that's taken away from time that we could potentially be active working out or doing other things. And it's it's not just about poor diet. It's also how we move or lack thereof. Yeah, we were made to move. And I think so many of us are not moving. Mm. I, I don't think it's healthy or natural for us to be uh, walking from an office, an air-conditioned office, to an air-conditioned car and sitting in it for another hour or whatever it is and running errands and then walking into an air-conditioned building. Uh, we're made to move and walk and cycle and whatever it is. Uh, I feel better when mm. I do it and I feel bad when I don't. When you ride your bike past that 13-story building that will be here pretty soon, are you happy that it's there? Or are you... So my... I thought about this. Yeah. My feelings are similar to yours that yeah. you just expressed. I I see the benefits of it because I've looked into the issue, uh, because I've actually had some introspection about it. Um, and I can understand people's feelings of being jarred by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand why they have that reaction. Um, but I'm trying to think beyond that. And I, I think I've succeeded with myself that I like it. It makes me feel good. It didn't displace a historic building. And I'm not calling for, you know, tearing down historic buildings, by the way. <laughs> Which has been another controversial yes. topic. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want, I, I think we should have diversified buildings mm -hmm. in our core as well and maintain historical sites. You know, yeah. defining that can be pretty weedy. You're like, you're in the housing market. This is what you do, right? right. Real estate. Mm -hmm. um, do we have enough of that housing stock? diverse housing stock for people to live in town, to be able to, um, you know, walk to HEB, vice versa, whether it's townhomes, condos, apartments, you know, non-student non living, but still, rent, you know, rent. Um, do we have enough of that? I mean, are there enough homes on the market that could cater to the needs of, uh, of, a, of a millennial like myself, or, or do we not have that yet? No. Hmm. <laughs> what are we missing? We are missing, yeah, we have a missing middle in housing, and the missing middle in housing is condos and townhomes. Um, we are also missing uh, just general multifamily near downtown or near campus. We have student housing. Now, th there's an argument that there will have a shortage of student housing because the university is growing. But um, I've heard you say before that a monoculture is unhealthy, and I completely agree with that. I don't think that it's healthy for students just to be siloed away from the rest of the population. I mean, that's really when we're going to be, that's another form of segregation. If we're going to be doing that, we're going to be creating areas where crime can happen. A friend of mine was uh, telling me his own story uh, going to college here, and he still lives here. Yeah. Because he loved it, he decided to remain here. He's a young guy. Uh, and he lived in a garage apartment behind a World War II vet. It was a 
the vet's house and he would help him uh, with the yard work and he would visit with him and sometimes have dinner with him and he drove him to the hospital when he had a heart attack. I mean, he was part of his life. And this is another one of those opportunities where different populations, different generations can learn from each other Hmm. and really uh, get to know each other and it creates a more healthy culture. As a city, we don't do a very good job at integrating folks together. I think we do a really bad job actually Um, because it it does seem like you can look at a map and see like different segments of the population that are just closed off from each other. It feels intentionally segregated. Hmm. Um, When you look around the world, single family zoning or single family homes are for the wealthy. Most people live in multifamily units. Yeah, I mean, these are people who already own homes, people who own single-family homes, right? These are people who who bought a home, and, and they can have that luxury. Yeah. Unlike I, someone like myself who, like, I, I don't think I want to buy a home. Not on, not because I – well, I guess part of it is because I don't have the financial means, but another part of it is because um, it's just not in my in my worldview, and I feel like I'd be doing myself – I'd be doing my community dirty a little bit if I closed myself off like that. You know, in a single family home? Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Would you purchase uh, a unit in a multifamily dwelling? Yes. I'd purchase a condo or a townhome. Yes. I see. Yeah. I'd rather do that. Um, I, my, 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 my dad in California has a townhome mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, water wall. It's really nice. I mean, it's very, very nice, uh, you know, two, three story townhome. Um, and when I, when I went to go visit all the time for the past, you know, over a decade, I, I love it. I love how the neighbors are right there. There's a park behind us and everyone goes to the park after work. And like at like six o'clock, everyone's at the park and then you come back and um, yeah. And I I never once felt like I didn't have privacy in that. I always felt like even though I was wall to wall with somebody else on, on the right hand side of me, like there was still this sense of privacy, like nobody, I couldn't hear anybody. Um, it was never like that. I was just living with other people. There wasn't a yard to worry about. There was a patio. Um, but we had flowers instead of grass and, you know, grass isn't very good for the earth anyways. It kind of just sucks up water and doesn't do much else. Um, but yeah, you know, I, there was no lawn to worry about. There was no outdoor maintenance, just water your plow, you know, water your plants um, and worry about what goes on with your family and inside the house. And everyone kind of just kept to themselves and everyone went to the park after work and the kids played and threw the ball around. And after that, everyone went back inside and did the next thing over again. I don't see that here. I really just don't. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really odd to me. You know, I, I I look forward to those summers when everyone got home and then everyone just went to the park. You can see people just walking from their, from their townhomes to the park. And, um, I just don't get that here. You know, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you have uh, more dense living, then it allows us to have more open spaces, which is better for the environment. Let's talk about the Guadalupe apartment. Uh, project, yeah. which was, I want to say about a month and a half, maybe two months ago. No, probably about a month and a half ago. I had to look at the date. Um, yeah, it was, it was a little bit while I was back, but this was a purpose-built student housing. I always get that mixed up. Yeah. Purpose-built student housing apartment complex. Yeah. It was going to go down, uh, Guadalupe going down towards 35, but still kind of off the square. It's still downtown by all means. Um, kind of think of like where the, where Buzz Mills at that, that area, those buildings right there. Um, it's going to be a pretty tall building. It's going to be all, you know, student living, um, and that was very controversial, and uh, PNZ shot it down. But you did cast the there was a, a vote to deny, and you dissented on that vote to deny. Um, 
but yeah, we're going to talk about the parking requirements for that. We're going to talk about you know what what the developers were proposing and and why you know you think it it ultimately got denied. But that was a really controversial issue. Um, was this one of the ones when you when you first heard about it? Did you think it was going to be controversial? Oh yeah. Oh really? <laughs> Walk me through that. What was the process like for you and uh, the preparation for that meeting? Um, well, I looked at the uh, design of the project, uh, and by the way. About my vote, it was largely I was speaking with a city council member about it, mm. and she described it as a protest vote, which is kind of what it was. Mm. Um, I did give some comments on the dais uh, with my vote. Yeah, I said that I could see that this was going to be that denied, and uh, that I was going to vote against the motion to deny because not because I thought it was great to have a uh, purpose-built student housing project mm -hmm. there. Uh, because I would much prefer a diversified multifamily project, mm. like we were just discussing. Right. Um, but there are certain things that I really liked about the project. Uh, I like the location of it. I like that it wasn't tearing down anything historic necessarily. There wasn't anything that it was really displacing. I liked the way that the uh, parking requirements were reduced. I can't remember why he got that reduction. It was, um, or the developer, it was... The requirement is originally 1.05 spaces per bed, and this one had 0.75 spaces per bed. So you got it reduced a little bit. Yeah, although they had a little more than what was required. Mm -hmm. um, but the parking was all wrapped inside. Okay. And it was completely out of view. It was just a really well-designed project, in my opinion. Now, people didn't like the size of it, and I can see that's overwhelming. It's just such a change from what people are used to. But my question was, if we're not going to have density downtown where are we going to have it it people are going to go somewhere where are they going to go parking requirements 1.05 per bed for a purpose-built student housing that's a lot that's a that's, lot if it's a four-bedroom apartment that's four cars um which, which is a lot i mean we we have heard uh, some public officials say that's not enough we need more parking do we need more, more, more parking or should we be moving towards less parking well, the more parking that we have available, the more cars we will attract. So if we want to have more and more and more cars, then we should build more roads and build more parking spaces. If we want to reduce it, I mean, there's something called induced demand, and it's a thing. If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. If you widen it, yeah, more will come. It, they will be filled. That The demand is, it's not like water, it's like a gas that expands to fill the existing space. Mm -hmm. Do you regret that vote? Uh, do I regret that vote? No, I was making a statement. It was a powerful statement. I don't know, was it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. I yeah. think it caught the attention of a lot of people. Uh -huh. I think it was interesting. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, you know, people, there's some people who were upset by it, but uh, I'm not running for office. So. Right. <laughs> um, in terms of that project, like it was obviously denied. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I didn't want it to pass. I'm going to say that because not in its that form. Mm -hmm. I really want diversified housing. I don't want a monoculture. So I'm hoping that it comes back with something different. And I think that I'm not the only one with that desire. Yeah. I've talked about monocultures before, particularly with student housing. It already has such a negative connotation in this town as it is. So if if you have a lot of people with pitchforks showing up to these meetings and saying no, we're not gonna, it's not gonna happen. I mean, it's probably not gonna happen. Let's be honest. Um, so and, and people are tired of looking at student housing, um, and 
you know, there's this, at least I see it online, this attitude that, you know, the city is catering to the students and not to me. And whether I think or not that's true, that's just a sentiment because they see student apartments going up and they feel left out. Um, but yes, personally, I would love, for, I would have loved for that project to originally come as just regular apartment complexes, maybe some condos, maybe some opportunity of rent to buy, I don't know, something different rather than just buy the bed, which in my mind would inevitably have been denied anyways. Probably costing the developer more money in the long run than just having the original plans to cater, you know, what this town probably needs more. So, um, but yeah, might come back. Um, hope, are you hopeful that it will come back? Yeah, definitely, because I think that's where it belongs. I mean, mm. <clears throat> we definitely need uh, we need multifamily near our core, and that was a really good spot for it, like I said. But I want to go back when we... You know, we were talking about the history of zoning when we look at <clears throat> the reason that we have this stu- uh, purpose-built student housing projects. There are a lot of people very upset about students living in single-family neighborhoods and a lot of students bunking up per house. And they wanted to, you know, get them out and, you know, segregate them out because there were some bad actors. Now they could have been, you know, violating some city ordinances that they could have been called out on. I'm sure they sometimes were. Right. But instead, you know, it's like uh, get them their own housing. So I think that, you know, a lot of that was the impetus for some of this purpose-built student housing. Now, the other thing that drives that kind of development is financing. Financing drives so much in real estate what you can get um, loans for. Mm. And you can get loans for rent by the bedroom much more easily than you can get rent for a, you know, a three-bedroom, two-bath unit really? for a family. Hmm. Uh, partly because of our op- occupancy restrictions in this town, which are yes. also extremely restrictive. Yes. What is it? Uh, no more than two unrelated unrelated, adults right. per single-family mm-hmm. residence. Mm-hmm. And that was meant to ke- keep students out of the single-family neighborhoods. Last thing I wanted to ask you, where are we going to be in 10 years from now? Um, I don't have a crystal ball. I mean, all I can do is just uh, try to improve my little part of the world. I looked up a tenant in Judaism because I'm Jewish and mm-hmm. uh, called Tikkun Olam, which is basically means repair the world and it's improve, you know, make the world a better place. It's like the Boy Scout, Girl Scout rule. Mm. Leave it better than you found it. And that's just what I'm trying to do. I don't know what we're going to do in 10 years. I hope it's going to be uh, in a really positive direction. I believe in environmentalism and social justice, and uh, I'm looking at how to marry those two. And how housing and parking. It's all intertwined. It's all intertwined in that. Yeah. Homeless more. thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate the time, and uh, I'm sure I'll have you back in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you, XR. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the San Marcos Scoop. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you're notified when episodes are released every single Friday. You can find my show on SoundCloud, the Apple Podcast app, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts by searching San Marcos Scoop. The San Marcos Scoop is a production of Newstreams Media and is here to bring you analysis of some of the biggest headlines in politics here in San Marcos, Texas. We have San Marcos Scoop stickers and San Marcos Scoop t-shirts in the studio. So if you want a sticker, let me know and I'll get it delivered to you. And if you want a t-shirt, they are $15. They have the signature San Marcos Scoop logo in the beautiful pinkish red colorway on a nice gray canvas t-shirt. So if you want one, send me a message and I'll get that delivered to you as soon as possible.
As always, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. If you like it, share it with your friends. Let your friends and family know. Let your dog listen to it. Let everybody listen to it. Honestly, I've seen a lot of tremendous growth here at the San Marcos Cube. A lot of people are starting to tune into the show. I'm getting text messages weekly by people I don't even know saying that they really enjoy the show. And it's just really crazy to me that I have this many people listening to the show on a weekly basis. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. That pretty much wraps it up for this week. As always, thank you all so much for the time and support. And I'll see you next week.